got a message, an encouraging message, I believe, that I want to share with you today. And uh, I believe it's going to encourage you and help you. Um, the Lord has encouraged me this week, so I pray that it's an encouragement to you. Romans 8, we're going to be reading uh, verses 28 through 39. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And the Word said, And we know that for those who love God, all things, say all things, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed right now is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Paul said, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning a message I have simply titled, It's All Good. It's All Good. If you will, stretch your hands toward heaven. Pray with me and for me. Father, one more time, we love you, we praise you, we thank you today. God, we ask that you would anoint your word. Move me out of the way, Lord, that your word will be spoken, not with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. Anoint our ears to hear today and our hearts to receive what you would speak to us this morning. And God, more than anything, let us leave differently than we came to this place today because we've been in your presence and changed by your word. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord one more hand clap of praise as you're seated this morning. I want us to talk about this morning our faith in God. Our faith, you see, is not in our faith. I want to say that again. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith isn't even in the Bible, but it's in the God who wrote the Bible. Our faith isn't even in our prayers. But it's in the God who answers our prayers. Now that may seem this morning like I'm stating the obvious, but the truth is that there are people 
And even some preachers out there who believe that everything that you need for a victorious life is to look with they, deep down within yourself and find the good that is inside of you and they never mention Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, I am a worm and no man. In me is no good thing. Another scripture said there is none righteous, no not, not one. They never mention Jesus. So what makes the difference? My faith is what makes the difference. I believe in prayer. I believe in the Bible. But you know there are people that even believe that this book is holy and they believe that it should be honored so they proudly display it on their coffee tables or maybe somewhere else in their home but they never open it and read it for themselves. Sometimes, somehow, their faith is in the book but they don't know the God of the book. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 11 and verse 22, have faith in God. Say that with me. Have faith in God. Second Timothy, Lauren, I'm going to warn you a little bit. I'm going to quote some of these scriptures I gave you, and then I'm going to go back and forth to the main text, and I'll call out those verses as I go through it. So let's go. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul said, That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. You see, the key, first of all, is you have to know in whom you have believed. It doesn't say that I know about God or that I believe there is a God or that I believe in God. What it says is I know the person that I have believed in. It's personal. You see, I don't just know Mike and Sheila Eaton because they're missionaries in the church of God. I have known them for many, many years. I know the people behind the mission work. I know the missionaries behind the title missionary. I know them personally. We've got to know personally in whom we have believed. That's the first key. The second key, he said, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What have you entrusted to him? Your faith. Whatever he has said to you, whatever he has promised to you in his word, whatever you believe him for, I am convinced that because I have entrusted my life and my faith to him, I don't have to worry about anything. The book said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. But, but I don't have to worry about anything. That means I don't have to worry about a diagnosis of cancer. Somebody help me this morning. I don't have to worry about heart disease or some other kind of diagnosis. I don't have to worry about poverty. I don't have to worry about danger. I don't have to worry about oppression. I don't have to worry about the battles that I face in this life. And how many knows we're in a battle? 
I don't have to worry about the battles and I don't have to worry about my enemy, my adversary, the devil, because he, Jesus Christ, is able to guard everything that I have entrusted unto him until that day. He's able. The reason that we can believe that is because because God loves us and because One of the characteristics that prevails over your life is His love for you. The Bible says that His love covers a multitude of sin. He is working it all, say all, all for your good. You may not understand it all, but He's working it all for your good. So, Those of you that know me know I'm not an expository preacher. For those that don't know what that is, I'm not one that takes a passage of Scripture and expounds on it verse by verse. But I'm going to do that today because God spoke to me through this verse by verse. So I want us to take our text this this morning, and I want to walk through this passage to show you that because God is good, say He's good, and because He's good all the time, that you can be convinced that He is able to guard everything you've entrusted unto Him Until that day. So I want to ask you a few questions this morning and I want your response. Do you believe that this is God's word? Mine's falling apart because I've read it so much. I'm going to have to get another one. That's why those pages are coming out. Do you believe that this word is for you? Do you accept it as it is? And will you appropriate it to your life today? So I want to ask you, why can you trust God this morning? You can trust God because He's working it all out for your good. I want you, and I don't do this much either, but I want you to look at your neighbor today. Look at him. Say, He's working it out. And because He's working it out, it's all good. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who who are called according to his purpose. This verse does not say that God causes bad things to happen in your life. What it does say is that even when bad things happen to his children, he will turn it around and make something good come out of it. What the first thing that came to my mind as I was reading through that scripture is the story of Joseph. Most of you know the story of Joseph, how that his brothers sold him into slavery. And Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20, Joseph said to them, he said, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? He said, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people, say many people, should be kept alive as they are today. I want you to think about that statement. After everything that Joseph went through, he said, it's all good because what you meant for evil against me, God worked it for good so that many people should be kept alive as they are today. 
I want you to know, I know that next Sunday is our six-year anniversary, and this is usually when I share this. But I could not wait. I'll probably share it next weekend, but I'm going to share it again today. Because I got excited when I read that, and what jumped off the page to me was to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. From the time that we launched this church six years ago until this morning as I stand before you, I want to have you know that we have seen 96 people give their heart to Jesus Christ. Boy, that's good. I mean, I'm looking for four next Sunday. Bring all the lost people you find because I think it would be awesome if on our six-year anniversary we could see our 100th soul born into the kingdom. Don't you? We have seen 79 people rededicate their life to Jesus Christ. We have seen 71 people baptized in water. And we have seen 48 people baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's why this church is not made up of people that cut their teeth on Pentecostal pews or came from Church of God background. Because we've seen 48 of what's here now come from somewhere else and they've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God works all things for our good. Why does God work all things for our good? Because He is good. So I want us to declare this over our church today. Because we are a family. Somebody say amen. We are many members, but we're still one body. Somebody say amen. We are a family, so I want you to declare this with me today. I want you to declare it. Say, family, He's working. And because he's working, it's all good. Guess what? Even when I can't see it, he's working. Even when I can't feel it, he's working. As the song says, he never stops, never stops working. So this morning I ask you, how does God want us to know him? See, in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve walked with God, there was a tree that was planted that was forbidden to them. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to think about this this morning because the serpent, the devil, the sly serpent that crawls his way in, the serpent did not tempt Adam and Eve to steal. He did not tempt Adam and Eve to kill. He didn't tempt Adam and Eve to commit adultery because they didn't even know they were naked. Now, can you imagine that? He didn't tempt them to do any of those things. But what he did tempt them to do was doubt God's word. He tempted them to doubt God's word. To, he simply tempted and uh, tested them to question what God said. We live in a day and a time, I'm afraid, where everybody wants to question what God's already said. I'm concerned that anymore we don't know the difference in the church between conviction and offense. Sometimes when we get convicted, we say we're offended because we don't recognize the difference. The enemy doesn't sometimes want to tempt church people to steal, he knows better, to kill, to commit adultery, but he will tempt you to question 
what God has already said. So he simply tested Adam and Eve to question what God said. You see, before they ate of its fruit, what did they know? All they knew was only good. Why? Because all they knew was God. When all you know is God, then all you know is good. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When all you know is God, all you know is good. Now verse 28 of our text says that he works things out for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about the redeemed, those who are saved by grace, those who love him? But I want to take this a step further. That's who he's talking about. But a step further is, is it just those who have accepted salvation? Can you really love God without being convinced that he's able to guard what you have entrusted to him until that day. What I'm trying to say is that if you really love God, wouldn't you trust him to do everything that he's already said he would do? You've been been called according to his purpose. For what? Ephesians 2 and 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But you can't do it on your own. I said you can't do it on your own. You have to have faith in God that He will accomplish everything that He has promised. I'm going to paraphrase paraphrase John 15 and 5. You don't have this one, Lauren. Basically says, if a man remains in me, Jesus is talking, and I in him... He will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to tell you, it's important that you stay connected to the vine. Because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So in all things, God works. Verse 29 of our main text. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We're talking about how good God is. In verse 29, it says that God foreknew you. Because of his eternal nature, he knows who will have faith in him. And if you trust in him, then he has predestined or foreordained you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. I'm not talking about Calvinism. It doesn't mean that he has picked some to be saved and others that are going to be lost. How many knows if that were true, how in the world could we say that God is good? If he's going to pick some to be saved and others to be lost. I'm glad I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. Because they believe that only 144,000 of the ones that do the best work are going to make it there. I'm thankful that although I have weaknesses, his grace is sufficient for me. And there's not a number of 144,000. There is a number that cannot be numbered, the Bible says. And I want to be in that number, don't you? So... What good God would allow somebody to be lost without giving them an opportunity to be saved? And he has done that because he is good. Let's look at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So here is where we really get into understanding the goodness of God that is revealed by our faith in him. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? I want you to look at this this verse differently than you ever have. Because the word if is better translated here from the Hebrew to since. Since God is for us, who can be against us? It leaves no doubt of God's goodness in dealing with those who place their faith in Him. But here's an interesting thought. On the surface, most of us would look at this verse and think, if God is for us, then nobody can be against us. But that's not what this verse is saying here. It's saying, if God is for us, is placed in direct contrast with who can be against us. So if God is good and He is for us, then who is the one that is against us? And what is His nature? It's Satan who's against us. Somebody say amen. Let me tell you, let me remind you of something this morning. We do not wrestle flesh and blood. It's not people that can be against you. It's the spirits that get a hold of people that can be against you. So don't try to waste your time fighting the people because that's not what the book instructed us to do. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, to the casting down of imaginations. That's what the weapons that we have to fight with, what they will do. We are not wrestling flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against our adversary, the devil. It's Satan who's against us, and his nature is the opposite of good. He's evil. God is good. He is evil. So the correct analogy of this verse is, think about this. Since God is for you, what can Satan do against you? Hmm, that's good. And the answer is, only what you allow him to do. I want you to look at what Satan has going for him. The Bible says he's the God of this world. He's the prince and the power of the air. He is a liar and the father of all lies. He masquerades as an angel of light. He comes to us as wolves in sheep's clothing. He steals, he kills, and it's his goal to destroy. He was given dominion over the earth when Adam sinned. But because you serve a God who is good and because he's given you great and precious promises in his word, you can stand against the wiles of the devil. You have God's word to stand on and I'm reminded of the message Brother Benny Fields preached where he had people in the altar service standing on Bibles. You can stand on on God's word the same way that Jesus did during his temptation in the desert. So if the enemy, Satan, wants to bring sickness to you, you can say, well, it's written, by his stripes I am healed. If he wants to bring you to poverty, you can say, it is written that God provides seed for the sower. Why do you think I pray what I pray about people that don't have to give when we give the offering? Because 2 Corinthians 9 and 9 through 11, Lord, you don't have this one either, says it is written that God provides seed for the sower and will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the 
harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So I come to declare to the devil, the enemy this morning, I'm a sower. So Satan, you can't touch my finances. I said I'm a sower. So you can't touch my finances. Guess what? You also cannot touch the church's finances because I'm just like David. I've been young, but I'm a little older now, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging bread. Do you understand what I'm saying to you this morning? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Is God good? What part of verse 32 tells us how good God is? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How did you receive that? You've got to receive that by faith. Would you not agree with me this morning that that is the greatest gift that could ever be given to anyone? And as you receive it, you receive it by faith in God. So, if God giving His only Son is the greatest gift and you have received that by faith, then doesn't it show show us that all the other gifts are lesser gifts anyway? But do you see what it says? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If you've accepted the greatest gift by your faith in God, shouldn't we be able to receive the lesser gifts by that same faith in God because we know that he's good? James declared it, James 1 and 17. He said, every good And every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What does that mean? That means the God who I'm trusting for everything I need never changes His mind. That's good. People will change their minds. But the God that we serve never changes His mind. People will start out for you and at some point they may turn out against you. But God is always for you. And if God is for you, what can Satan do against you? God is good and He wants to give us good gifts. But now here's the kicker. We have to ask. Matthew 7 Verses 9 through 11 says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, you didn't know you was evil, did you? We're all evil. I done covered that. None of us is righteous. No, not one. So if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him. Very quickly, what kind of gifts does God want to give you? He wants to give you good gifts. Why? Because He's a good God. 
want us to look at the next few verses very quickly. Once again, Paul begins a comparison between the Father in heaven and the Father of lies. Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that brings charges against you? It's not the Holy Spirit, as some people think. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, but the Holy Spirit does not bring charges. Revelations 12 and 10 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. Watch this. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. Looking at verse 33, it's God who justifies. That goes back to what Paul said earlier. If God's for us, who can be against us? Satan brings all these charges against you, but God says, not guilty. Somebody say hallelujah. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Same answer. Christ Jesus, who died? More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he's also ever interceding for us. If you're going through some junk in your life this morning, Jesus is praying for you right now. We are secure from all condemnation. If Jesus himself is our intercessor, promoting our benefit, then who can condemn us? Man can condemn you. But I want to tell you something. Nobody, including the pastor, I'm going to put this on me, nobody, including the pastor, has the right to condemn. Nobody. 1 Corinthians 9, 18 through 22. What then is my reward, Paul said, that my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. We talked about servanthood last week, that I might win more of them. Why do you serve? So that we can win them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I want to tell you very quickly, this week, my youth camp experience. I get all of these things as a pastor sometimes on my mind, and I'm going to be 100% transparent and honest with you. I was there out of a Kentucky State Youth Board obligation. I'm elected to serve, and that one of my privileges is to work youth camp. Somebody say praise the Lord. So I was there because I had an obligation to serve. But on Tuesday night in the altar, they asked all of the leaders to come up front and form a line all of the, the state youth board and then all of those that were serving in leadership there in the camp, room leaders, all of the leaders, to come up front and form a line across the front. And then they asked the kids to come forward to the altar uh, and approach those that they wanted to pray for them. So every child that stood in my line, this was high school camp, every single one of them, I prayed with boys that were just struggling with issues in their, in their life. Teenage boys, I remember what that was like. It's not a pretty time. I prayed with boys who were... Uh, struggling and battling with addiction. Some of them named addiction to pornography, addiction to drugs, addiction to alcohol, addiction to both. And their parents and their pastor didn't know anything about it. I prayed with uh, a young lady who has been suicidal for the past several, several months and even had attempted suicide a few months before camp. And then I prayed with a pastor's kid who just broke and bawled like a baby in the altar. And I broke and bawled like a baby because I know what life is like for my kids sometimes 
children's ministry, whether you think it is or not, is just not always pretty. I don't know how else to say it except to put it like that. I prayed for all of those kids, and as I was walking away from that altar after about a 30-minute prayer experience with all of those kids, I thought, my God, this is what we're called to do. This is what I'm called to do. A lot of the other things that consume my mind and my time as a pastor are nothing but distractions from the enemy to keep us from doing what we're called to do. Wait just a minute. I'm, I'm glad you're praising the Lord, but save Him. Praise Him in just a second. Because we are not called to sit on pews here and babysit each other and keep each other happy and, and all of that good stuff. We're called to come here every week so that we serve, so that we can win some, so that we can get fueled up and fired up to go out there and get a hold of the people that don't know what we know, that don't have what we have and lead them to the foot of the cross to a man named Jesus who can change their life. And guess what? That was Tuesday and on Friday that young lady told Darla, I've had such a great week. Something's different in my life. The suicidal young lady. Why? Because she found her help and her hope in a man named Jesus. Because I wasn't so consumed with everything that was on my mind to stop what I was doing and cry out to the God that could deliver her. That's what we're called to do. That's the work of the ministry. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's 10.04. I know Sunday school needs to start at 10.10. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Here Paul says that without a doubt the Christians are not exempt from difficulties because God is so good, so faithful, and so believable. We can have faith in Him and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So has sickness invaded your life? You can have faith in God the healer. Your family relationships disrupted? Nothing can separate you from what he wants for your life. Bad job situation? God can turn that around and make it good. Verse 37. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. How are you more than a conqueror this morning? Because you serve a good God. See, faith sees the finished work of the cross. And understands that all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. Because God is good. And if you are serving God, no matter what you're facing now, or no matter what you have to face down the road, you can rear your shoulders back and declare, it's all good. God has a plan. Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans never to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So you're looking at what's going on and you're looking at what's happening and you're saying, God, how is that to prosper me? That is not for us to know. Did you hear me? That is not for us to know. What is for us to know is that God has a plan. God works it for your good. God's plan is to prosper you, to never harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Somebody shout amen. He is not slack concerning his promises. And he will do what he said he would do. As they come to the music this morning. 
I thank him for his word. I said, I thank him for his word. Sometimes I think we overlook the power of his word. He said, he's working it all out for our good. I want us to look at something, and you may not have seen it this way before. But everything that God has promised to you in His Word, almost everything, can be found in the 23rd Psalm. I want us to look at it this morning very quickly. David said, The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. He said, I shall not want. That's supply. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. That's rest. He leadeth me beside still waters. That's refreshment. He restoreth my soul. That's healing. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. That's His guidance. For His name's sake, that's His purpose. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's testing. I will fear no evil. That's protection. For thou art with me. Oh, hallelujah. That's faithfulness. Oh, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's something called discipline. Discipline. How many normally think of discipline bringing you comfort? But that's discipline. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. That's hope. Thou anointest my head with oil. That's consecration. My cup runneth over. That's abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's his blessing. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That's security forever. That's eternity. God has made promises to you in his word. As you'll stand with me all over the house. The Holy Spirit would have you know today. He's working. I said he's working. How sure are you that God is good and that he wants to do good things for his children? Are you sure enough to know that to not let anything stop you? Or set you back. As I close, verse 38 and 39. Paul said, For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, what I'm going through right now, nor what I'm going to go through down the road, things to come, nor powers of the enemy, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How convinced are you of His goodness? Convinced means persuaded. That's what faith is. Being fully persuaded. God is able to keep his promises because of his goodness. I just want to ask you this morning, will you let the goodness of God touch your life today? His goodness will cause your doubt to melt away. I want to challenge you to have faith in God for all your needs today. No matter what it looks like today, some of you this morning, and you know who you are, need to bring what you've been carrying around on your shoulders to this altar this morning and give it to Jesus and declare it's